This is the final episode in a three-part series. Please listen to parts one and two before continuing with this one. This series contains discussion of violence and crime scenes. Listener discretion is advised. This is The Fall Line. With everything that went on, Victoria tried to keep her memory alive every anniversary. Um, it would be in the paper. You know, she would have a little gathering at her grave site I used to come to. Um, I try to keep in touch with Victoria, and she has journeyed spirit, determination. I, I think she's doing an awesome job at trying to uh, keep her mom's memory alive. She's not here in the physical form, but in the, you know, the spiritual. She's always in our heart, and Victoria is trying to keep that alive. She is her mother's child. She is her mother's child. In this final episode of our three-part series on the unsolved homicide of Geraldine DeLoach, we pick up where we left off last time with Geraldine's family. They were still in shock, having just buried their sister and daughter with no clue who might have killed her. Kim, the mother of Geraldine's niece, Yanisha, remembered that the funeral was so crowded with mourners that one could barely get inside. Everyone in Register, Georgia, and many in Statesboro knew the Deloach family, and so many knew Geraldine. Laughing, funny, bright and bubbly, but focused on helping out her hometown too, doing good work with her faith-based community group, the 2530 Club. Mother to Victoria, whose flower girl dress she'd been discussing on the night she was murdered. Victoria was supposed to be in Geraldine's brother, Rayford's wedding. A month away from her fourth birthday, Victoria had lost everything. There was no question that she would be with Ava, the sister closest to Geraldine. Ava had been watching Victoria the night Geraldine was murdered. She was the reason Victoria hadn't been home. It was lucky. Then again, maybe Geraldine's killer knew that, that Victoria wouldn't be there. As May rolled into June, so hot in Southeast Georgia, the Deloach family had no answers. And they worried in a small town like Register, in a rural county like Bullock, that they might not get them. In 2021, the case is now in the hands of a GBI staff very focused on cold case closure, and a new agent has been assigned who's prioritizing Geraldine's case. So much so that they, the GBI regional office, reached out to the fall line to cover her case in hopes of raising its profile. But in the family's perspective, things were different in 1991, particularly in relation to the county's approach to the case. The GBI is a state bureau that works in conjunction with local law enforcement, but the original investigation began with the Bullock County Sheriff's Office. Bullock County is, overall, a majority white area, and so is the town of Register. Statesboro has very different demographics, with most of the population split almost evenly between Black and white residents. But Geraldine had died in Tiny Register, so different from the college town of Statesboro. Marie, 
the eldest child in the Deloach family, had long ago moved away to Atlanta. She'd gotten married, earned her PhD, but she still remembered enough about the tensions in the area to wonder how they might affect Geraldine's case. Possibly the investigation? Possibly not. Maybe the willingness of people to speak. Maybe the willingness of the media to cover Geraldine's death. Being from a small town and a lot of racial issues still going on at that time, I just remember that, uh, you know, uh, we were a small town and a big family, not a whole lot of money, and we were always concerned that, you know, her death would not be investigated or looked upon uh, with, with the degree of vigor that maybe some other families might have because of who we were, color of our skin, that kind of a thing. And, uh, you know, it just, I just remember at, at some point in time thinking, you know, this is just going to be one of those things that's going to get swept under the rug and will never, ever, you know, find out what actually happened. And here we are more than 30 years later and, you know, we still don't know what happened. But, you know, and, it, and it's not necessarily based on that kind of an attitude, but just the fact that in order, I guess, for them to move forward, they've got to have the evidence to substantiate it. Do you think that that evidence is out there and someone is holding it back? I think, you know, at times I've, I'm not as close to the situation as some of my other siblings, but just based on some things that some speculation, uh, there is that degree that it is there and it's being held, kept back because of certain people that might be involved and to uh, keep from incriminating those individuals. But there's just always been some speculation that um, there might have been some individ- other individuals in the town that that may have known something and in some way been involved, but but to avoid becoming incriminated by something that somebody was saying, saying they just kind of left it out. You know, just from over the years, just hearing things of people that might know something or who may have actually been involved. Do you think that there's anything that could be done now that might be able to draw that out? The last agent that was put on the case, we we would, I hope now that they would have someone consistently um, work on the case. And whereas before, it's always been, you know, just so many people that would work on it for a while and then they would get transferred or they'd get moved off the case, that kind of thing. It's just been, you know, not consistently investigated. But I kind of think if they just really put forth that effort to to consistently just pursue it and uh, stay on it for a certain amount of time until they, you know, they could get it because they keep saying that, you know, we're so close. But here it is 30 years later, <laughs> to, to you know, that effort should have occurred, you know, five years ago. I mean, five years afterwards or even 10 years, but it's, it's just been, uh, the case has just been passed around. It could have been, and it may or may not have been, I kind of think it did have something to do with the law enforcement people that were in charge in Statesboro at that time as far as how, 
how much effort they wanted to put towards trying to solve the case. I just think initially that interest was not there. Rayford, whose wedding was coming up soon, also talked with us regarding his initial worries about the case. I recall we um, we wanted to really let them know that we were going to be really watching this because I have I've had classmates, and my my opinion is for Statesburg to be so small, there's a lot of unsolved homicide. I have like two of my classmates, maybe more now, but but like two of my classmates were killed right in Statesboro and to that you know unsolved. Uh, there's Cynthia Hill, Katrina Wallace. Uh, you know, that I graduate with. They were killed in Statesboro, and I think to this day they're still unsolved. For Statesboro to be so small and all these unsolved homicides. And even even just just when I actually went up to the scene, you know, once I got in town and actually went to the scene, I just didn't think it was secure. You know, you could just walk, anybody can walk right up to it. And if there was a suspect who dropped something, he could have come back later and, and picked it up. You know, I don't know the procedures, but I just think, wow, why isn't this taped off? Maybe they took the tape down or whatever. Like anybody could just walk right up to the scene, and if they did something and dropped something, they'd come back and pick it up or, or whatever. Geraldine's mother, May Knight, met often with different members of law enforcement, both early on with the Bullock County Sheriff and later with the GBI. Here's what she told us: There were times I would go and check in with them. You know, they would allow me to come in. They would discuss the case with me to an extent, you know, kind of let me know that they were still looking at the case. So I haven't had an opinion towards the department here in Statesboro. Now, maybe some other people, but I haven't. I haven't got good communication from them. Yes, that's what I've got, good communications. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I feel like they shared as much as they could with me, you know, because I know there's things they couldn't share. And I, I just applaud, you know, for working with me the way they have. Maybe, you know, it's a long time coming, but maybe there's other cases been solved. It's been longer than this, you know. Pray for this one will be solved. Also, will be solved. In all, we spoke to 10 family members and friends for this podcast, and there were a variety of impressions and feelings about the early days of the case. Worry and frustration that things didn't move quickly. Concern that the investigation slowed down after the first year. And lingering questions. They had been wealthy and white, prominent, as one person put it. Would Geraldine have had a different kind of investigation? None of the people working the case now, who asked us to cover it, were working it then. But Agent Vogelsang was able to summarize the 1991 investigation and, more importantly, talk to us about possible suspects. There were several names that came up. One was the high school student, whom we've called James in this series. Another, whom we haven't mentioned until now, was a man well-known to Geraldine and her family. Several sources told investigators that this man had a history of violence toward women, including physical abuse, threats, and even attempted murder. Geraldine would have likely been in occasional contact with this individual, though how often is unclear and there's no verified record of whether she saw him on Monday night. Agent Vogelsang told us about the case. They started with Geraldine's family. Um, Her sister found her body, and they kind of started there and talked to other family members. They then kind of went outwards and started talking to the people in her neighborhood. They canvassed 
both the neighborhood that she had moved to and the neighborhood that she moved from. Um, they talked to a lot of the people that she was close with, as well as her friends in the area. She was very involved in her church. So I know that they talked to a lot of people in her church as well. And from there, it kind of, you know, the information developed. There's no one specific way to go about, you know, deciding who you're going to talk to. But they, they did a very thorough job of making sure to talk to anyone who was in the area, anyone who knew Geraldine, anyone who was familiar with her. It seems like their process was very methodical. Could you tell when they started to zero in on people they might be interested in, in terms of people of interest? Yes. Yes, I think there was a um, a high school student who was helping her move, who was the last person who was seen with her. And, you know, at one point in the file, it definitely, there starts to be um, most of the interest is on that, that individual. And it's not, I mean, they're still talking to other people. They're still interviewing, you know, other people and chasing other leads. But that seems to be kind of the main suspect at that point. I mean, I, I wasn't there, so I can't speak to exactly what they were thinking. Because there was definitely an element of them zeroing in on this individual. But I think that they had reason to. Mm-hmm. I don't think that they did it without cause. And then at some point, was that individual cleared? No. So that person is still a person of interest? Yes, that individual is still a person of interest. At some point, it seemed that other people became people of interest as well? Yes, and some of those people were people of interest from the beginning, and then throughout the years and later on, sometimes this happens with older cases, people will come forward and say, well, I heard this or someone told me this, and it gives us reason to think that a different person may have been involved. And a lot of times people who aren't willing to talk right after a crime happens will come forward years later and they'll be more willing to talk then. So we we had that happen in this case. And with cold cases, especially, that's something that, you know, you hope is going to happen because it's new information and it makes you look at people who may not have been looked at as hard the first time around and makes you look at certain information differently. I would say a few years after Geraldine's death, we started to look more at some other suspects other than the original person who was really looked at. Um, Not to say that he was cleared, but there became reason to think that there may have been another person or other persons involved. The amount of anger that went into this crime is something that you don't see every day. And it's something that I think is very important to this case. And especially as a woman and as, you know, someone who may have been more at risk I think it's important to make that known that Jolene most likely knew the person. The focus on the younger person of interest may have been related to a criminal profile, similar to the kind that you may have seen on crime procedurals like Mindhunter. The profile, included in the GBI's files that we reviewed, interpreted a number of Geraldine's murderer's actions and seemed to indicate a young male offender. But profiles are interpretation. How much investigators relied on this, we can't say. We do know that a number of polygraphs were administered. The younger suspect agreed to take them, and the older male, known to the family, declined. Several other people known to Geraldine also offered to take examinations and were questioned on multiple occasions. They seemed to have been interviewed because of proximity, and not because of any suspicion that they could have, or would have, hurt her. 
Geraldine's case stalled in late 1991, and within a few years, her family was struggling for press coverage. That's when a former Bullock County deputy, Ronaldo Rodriguez, saw them on the news speaking about her case. He was not on the force when Geraldine was murdered. However, he was familiar with her case. He spoke to us about how he became involved with the Deloach family. I was in register one night uh, patrolling, and where that apartment used to be is where the local post office is now. And anytime I used to go up there to patrol, it just I always used to get like an eerie feeling from that place. And when I when I asked somebody about it, um, they were able to say, oh, well, yeah, you know, did you know that there was a lady that was, and I was like, yeah, now, now it all, you know, I remember now. But anyway, I, I just, uh, uh, the family reached out to me because I mentioned them uh, on a show that I was, that I was doing, uh, just because, just because the county that we're, that we're living does have a couple of uh, cold cases. I want to say probably like three or four and like two or three missing uh, people that just never, no, no closure has ever come of it. Uh, so the family reached out to me. Um, and, and, you know, this was my fault being moved to, to, to researching stuff and talking with the family. But, um, you know, I, I didn't really hold anything back from the family. And I think maybe that was a mistake. But then at the same time, I think that maybe it started the wheels turning a little bit more. It was just an investigation where normally a person is going to be known. And then normally the person has, you know, they're not like a serial killer. Then they normally have something to gain from doing what they're going to do to the victim. But the the main suspect in my opinion was just very uh was just a very violent person against women i think that originally they focused on the wrong person i think that originally they focused on the young man that was helping her move rodriguez felt that at least two people had been involved in geraldine's murder if not at the time of her death in the aftermath the return to the scene of the crime, and the moving of her body. There's a possibility that her placement in the yard that late Tuesday afternoon had not been the original plan. There was a witness that lived near Geraldine's apartment in Register that said that they heard a horn blow around 2 a.m. and then another horn blow a couple of minutes later. But this is where it goes back to, to my theory where I thought that they would after committing the murder, that they would have tried to, to move her body and then left to get a different vehicle. Maybe one one of them stayed in the apartment and maybe the other one left to get another vehicle and came back. You know, if, if the murder happened after midnight at 2 a.m., that's not too far off. Um, so that's why, um, that's why I think that, and somebody else said that they saw a van of some kind. So they, they might have they might have thought that they can bring a, a different vehicle to uh, to transport her. If his theory is correct, the murderer 
an accomplice, could have originally planned to move Geraldine's body from the crime scene, but might have been unable to do so. There was evidence of dragging in the front yard, but how much of that is related to the eventual staging of the scene is unclear. If she was moved back into her apartment and then moved back out Tuesday afternoon, this may have been a last-minute plan. We don't know why Geraldine's Jeep was moved to the Fox Ridge apartment complex. She hadn't lived there in quite some time. In fact, she'd stayed in two separate places, her friend's home on the Georgia Southern campus and Lord's apartments, since she'd lived at Fox Ridge. There could be any number of answers. Perhaps her killer was familiar with her life, but not so much that they were aware of her day-to-day movements. Maybe they wanted to draw attention to someone who lived at the complex and cast suspicion. Maybe they knew Geraldine's cousin lived there and hoped she would notice the Jeep. That would assure that Geraldine's body would be discovered. There are too many options to settle on one theory. But the number of actions that occurred here, they do make us think that, perhaps, more than one person assisted in covering the tracks of the murderer of Geraldine DeLoach. We've said it before, Register is a tiny town, and Statesboro a small one. People talk, and it would seem likely, inevitable, that information concerning the murder of Geraldine would circulate. And it did. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate. Then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Geraldine's older brother, Ray, had a disturbing experience in 1999 when he was serving a short sentence at a state work camp in Augusta, Georgia. He was surprised to see someone he knew there from his hometown in Southeast Georgia. But when the man approached him, the information he offered came as a much bigger shock. He wanted to talk to Ray about one of the two suspects we've mentioned, not the high school student, but the male who was well-known to the family with the alleged history of violence. And I was in Augusta, and this guy from Statesboro named And, you know, one day he just started talking to me about, you know, my sister. No, he was like, that was your sister, wasn't it, Ray? Yeah. And he was talking, and I seen his eyes getting all watery and stuff, so I didn't want to interrupt him, and I didn't. And he just went on to say to me about how called him that night to do something. And uh, he said he was like paying $500 cash or in crack cocaine or something. And he said he didn't know what it was until he got out there. And he said uh, something, it was my sister's, they was going to move my sister's body. When he got there, that's what it was. But she was too heavy for them to pick her up. put in the truck because she was found right outside her door. So evidently somebody moved her, you know? So he said he drove my sister Jeep back to Fox Ridge and just left the Jeep there. 
I told them folks that way back years ago, and I don't know what happened, you know, uh, why they didn't look into it, why they, you know, because I, I don't know why he would lie about something like that. And I don't know why he wouldn't think that I would report it, you know, but those are just words, and that's what he told me. And that's what I passed along to the GBI back then and here recently. Do you remember the year that you reported that to the GBI? Uh, I, I, I did, I was in the work camp from 2000, the millennium came in 2000, in 1999 to 2000, that's when I was locked up. So I reported them, I got out January of 2000. 21 years ago. Yeah, I reported it back then. Yeah, sure did. That was the first thing I did. I couldn't wait to report that. I cannot imagine the experience of having that told to you. Yeah, right. I'm telling I'm like, oh, my God. I just told him, thanks for mentioning it, you know, like that. Um, but, you know, as he was telling me, you know, his eyes, I mean, he was almost crying. As a matter of fact, he did share a couple of tears. But it, and I'm like, wow, I don't know. Yeah, that was pretty hard hearing that. Based on the GBI's file, this story was told to other people, not just Ray. They also reported it. Some details were different, and we don't know how the information was pursued back in 1999 and 2000. We wanted to know where the case stands today. How many suspects are there? Who is being reviewed? Are there new suspects or suspects who are being reexamined? The GBI agent now handling the case, Agent Vogelsang, gave us an update. After you're on the case, I feel confident in saying that we've narrowed down our suspects to two individuals. And what we need from here is, you know, people in the area, someone knows something, and we need people to come forward who are familiar with these individuals, who may have heard something or seen something and may not even know about Geraldine's case. We have the information we need. It's just a matter of putting it together. It's important that we talk to anyone who is in Geraldine's life around the time that she was killed and who may have observed her relationships with other people. Mm -hmm. I think what's most important about this case is that it is solvable. And I think it's important to put that out there and let people know that, you know, no matter how much time it takes or how much work it's going to take, then we, we will get to the bottom of what happened. And it's important for Geraldine's family to know that as well as anyone who may have been involved. Has there been much media coverage of this case? And if so, has it been very thorough? Do you feel like there's much community awareness? No, there have been a couple of newspaper articles about it in the past, kind of on the anniversaries. But I think something that is important to the family and that is important to me as well is that we get Geraldine's information out in the media and make sure that people know her face and are familiar with her case because you never know who's going to hear something or see something that may be important. And, you know, she was a member of our community and it's important to honor that and to make sure that we do everything we can. There are certain cases where people know a case by the name of the victim and we'll talk about it freely in town back when this crime happened or this crime happened. Do people in the community know Geraldine Deloach's name? I don't think that they do as much as I wish that they did. And that's why we want to get her name out and make sure that people do 
know her name and that people are familiar with her and her family. Geraldine's family are hopeful that this new agent and an office so interested in cold cases will find resolution in her case. But it's been almost 30 years. This May, they'll be facing down a very difficult anniversary, one that brings up as many memories as working on the series has. As Geraldine's oldest sister, Marie, told us, Things were looking so positive. It was just a shock. So I just, um, I was just proud of, of the direction that her life was, was going at the time. And I thought she was, uh, from what I could tell, she was happy um, and just just ready to, to, to move forward. I mean, that 2530 Club, social club that she started, I thought there's a lot that could be done with that. And the little small town of, of Register where we grew up, and everybody knew everybody kind of thing. It was just, it would have been just perfect for her to, uh, to settle there. And, um, I find myself thinking, you know, even in her 50s at this point in time, what, what she would be doing. But, and then what Victoria, I mean, um, would be doing. Geraldine's mother, May Knight, finds herself repeating the same questions over and over reviewing everything she knew about her daughter. The way she was, was friendly and outgoing and helping to, what could she have did so bad to someone that would want to take her life? Yeah, that's, that's my question. What could she, I would like to know, what did she do, you know, to you to cause you to, and I would like to ask that person that, that you would take her life, or you all would take, maybe it was one, maybe more than one person involved. I don't know. And Geraldine's sister, Ava, she raised Victoria. Geraldine's daughter for a number of years. And she thought about how Geraldine didn't get to watch her own daughter grow up. She would be, be proud of her and seeing, um, you know, here it is. Um, she's in her 30s now. She would be proud of her. Anything Geraldine could do for her and give her, that's what she would do. She'd make sure her hair was done, um, bought her all the cute little outfits. She did Everything she could for her, gave her everything she could. So so she would be proud of Victoria as an adult woman. Ava had her own trauma that day. She found Geraldine, her sister, and her best friend, and she had to keep going for Victoria's sake. She told us that for years, she tried to push her grief down, but recently she's realized that it wasn't working anymore. She decided to write about her experiences with Geraldine's murder, how she both lived with the pain, and how she's approached healing the trauma through her faith. She's titled her book, Choked by Pain, and is publishing it this spring. A portion of the proceeds will be going to the Geraldine DeLoach Scholarship Fund. We'll include a link in the show notes so you can learn more about this project. That brings us to the person you haven't heard from yet in this series, the person most affected by the events of May 28, 1991. Victoria was only three years old when her mother died, and she says she doesn't have clear memories of their days together. But she says she does remember that day, or pieces of it. She has worked to know her mother through pictures, family stories, photos, parties, things she organizes so that she can learn about Geraldine and understand the woman that everyone tells her was beautiful 
and happy and funny, the woman she knows loved her very much. For years, Victoria has dealt with a serious illness, TTP, thrombotic thrombocytopedic purpura. It's a rare disorder that affects the blood's ability to clot. Victoria shared with us that this has not only led to a number of hospital stays, but also pregnancy loss and the loss of a child. She wrote a statement reflecting on her feelings about her mother, the case, and her own life, and asked us to have a voice actor read it for you here. In some ways, this loss has brought out a strength in my family, but I wish we talked about her more. I think they really didn't want to talk about it until I got older. We planned a memorial for the 20th anniversary of her death. We celebrated her life. My family told me stories about her. It was definitely needed. I was in a broken place. When I started posting stuff on social media, I always said that the world needs to hear her story. People need to know about her and how Bullock Sheriff's Department treated her case. In my opinion, they really didn't care about her or what happened to her. Posting pictures and telling her story keeps her memory alive. When people see me, that brings up memories about her to them. Most people say that they will never forget about someone, but they do. Life happens, and sometimes you just forget by accident. I just want people to know my mom's story. I'm going to get my mother back on their minds. Someone knows something, and the Most High will put it on their heart. I want people to know that she was a comedian. She cared about people and would help anyone who needed it. She was good-hearted. My grandma said that she would call if somebody needed something. She'd ask my grandma if she had it to help. She just wanted to help people. I cry for her a lot because I need her to help me get through the tough days. I never tried to give up on life in general as a kid because I lost my mom. And then I got sick. I got pregnant. I lost two babies back to back. That was a very hard time then. No one knows about this, but I was ready to give up on life. But my grandma brought me my Bible and I keep a picture of my mom in it. Seeing her picture was my strength in the days of loneliness. Now it gives me strength to have her, just her memory in the back of my mind every day to just keep going and keep pushing, not to give up. All that stuff I go through even now, getting all these treatments and stuff, it gives me strength to just keep going. I think that's where my strength comes from, from my mother. Victoria had to grow up without her mother. She shouldn't have to keep living her life year after year without answers. Geraldine DeLoach left her mark on the town of Register, Georgia, through the 2530 Club, through her newsletter, through all the funny stories from friends and family who still call her Hootie. But she shouldn't be a legacy she should still be alive today and with them. If you have any information regarding the murder of Geraldine DeLoach, please call the GBI Region 5 office at 912-871-1121. Geraldine DeLoach's murder is solvable and your help is needed to close this case. There is a $2,000 reward in place for information leading to the resolution of this homicide investigation. Thanks so much to Simone Taylor from 90s Crime Time for voicing Victoria's thoughts. We hope that you'll check out her show. She's covering all things 1990s crime, and she's not sticking to the high-profile cases. She's covering stories I never heard about the 1990s when they were actually happening. Thank you for listening. 
The Fall Line is a fully independent show, and we appreciate your support. It allows us to do research, obtain FOIAs, pay our content advisors, and support and donate to the causes we care about. If you try out the products we advertise, please use our sponsor codes. It really helps. And if you'd like to support the show and the stories we cover, join us on Patreon. We're raising Patreon funds to continue to fund the Millbrook Twins Billboard, begin a therapy fund for families who've been on the show, and many other projects. You can read a public post about those goals on our Patreon page. On Patreon, you can get early release ad-free versions of our regular episodes, plus blogs and videos for only $5 a month. We've also added live streams, which all patrons can enjoy starting at just a dollar. The Fall Line is written, hosted, and researched by Laura Norton, with additional research by Brian Waters, Kim Fritz, and Jessica Ann. Family and law enforcement interviews by Brooke Hargrove. Produced and engineered by Maura Curry. Content advisement by Brandy C. Williams, Liv Fallon, and Vic Kennedy. And, as always, our most special thanks to Angie Dodd. Currently, our monthly donation is going to the Black and Missing Foundation.